another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. It actually is a great day, a great week that begins with good news, just breaking news from the Middle East. Uh, two more captives have been released. And uh, this means that uh, there are remaining now 218 captives. The two Americans, the mother and daughter, uh, released, have gone home, seem to be in good health. Uh, we don't know about the new captives who have been released. They are two Israeli women, uh, one aged 85, one aged 79. And by the way, if you just, if you just think about it, if you know people who are 85 years old, um, I mean, aside from prominent politicians, but if you know people who are 85 years old, uh, can you imagine what that means to be kidnapped out of your home and taken God knows where to someplace in Gaza, presumably? The, uh, the way this is covered in the Jerusalem Post, uh, we'll, we'll get to in just a moment. There is also good news today with a victory over left-leaning media, a profound victory, which uh, unfortunately didn't happen here in the United States. It happened in Britain. But uh, given the fact that the left-leaning media in Britain is government-owned and operated, it's the BBC, the British Broadcasting Corporation, we will tell you all about that victory. We're also going to be speaking this hour to Mark Regev, who is the former Israeli ambassador to the United Kingdom. He is also a senior advisor to Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. We're going to be talking about the ground invasion that everybody either dreads or eagerly awaits. I don't think there's anybody who can say they look forward to it. I. I will tell you, I have tremendous ambivalence personally about the oncoming ground invasion because I have close blood relatives, my brother's children, my the kids of my first cousins, uh, grandchildren of my first cousins are called up for service and they are risking their lives in in this uh, invasion, when it occurs, we'll be speaking to Mark Regev about that and about what to expect and about what he says about some of the American commentators who have spoken out with advice uh, for the state of Israel, generally saying, don't do it. Don't do a, a ground incursion. But then the question becomes, if you don't do that, then aren't you handing Hamas a victory and allowing Hamas to continue to dominate Gaza and to continue to make more horrific uh, terrorist assaults like they just did. Okay, first of all, this is from the Jerusalem Post. Two captives out of the 222 hostages that Hamas initially abducted on October 7th were reportedly released to Egypt on Monday, yesterday. A Monday? No, today. <laughs> a senior Israeli official confirmed. The spokesperson for Hamas armed wing, uh, Ubu, Abu uh, Ubaida, 
first announced the release after 20 trucks of humanitarian aid entered Gaza and amid reports that Qatar had secured the release of some 50 hostages with foreign passports. Uh, Qatar, by the way, is denying that they've had anything to do with this. They said Egypt negotiated the whole thing. The released captives are believed to be two Israeli women who arrived at the Rafah crossing. That's a crossing between the Gaza Strip and Egypt around 9.45 p.m. That's Israeli time. That's just now. And would meet by secure would be met by security officials before being reunited with their families. Uh, Hamas said in a statement on his telegram site, who knew that Hamas had a telegram site? They do. Uh, they said on their site, uh, we decided to release them for humanitarian and poor health grounds. Despite that, the enemy refused to receive them last Friday. Okay. Uh, the Prime Minister's office and the Israeli government has said that's a complete lie, which is not a surprise. Of course, they would never refuse to receive them. Uh, I'm, as, as soon and as many of the hostages as can be released, uh, that is a, a good thing. There's a, actually an article in the uh, New York Times by a uh, a rabbi who wrote about Matir Asurim, which is the freeing of hostages. It's the freeing of prisoners. Uh, and it's one of the real imperatives in terms of commandments for Jewish people. And one of the ways that we actually praise God, that God heals the sick and frees the captive. And so this is a very, very important thing, and it's a very good thing. And who knows if uh, that leads to more good things. Certainly, if it's at all true, as the Jerusalem Post is reporting, that Qatar has secured the release of 50 hostages with foreign passports, that would be, that would be very positive indeed. Uh, meanwhile, there's uh, no new uh, <laughs> no new news about a Speaker of the House. We need one. I mean, we need one really badly because we can't get the aid to Israel. We can't get the aid to Ukraine. We can't get the uh, reinforcements for our border security which everybody wants to do now. And and the fact is you can't do that because there's no Speaker of the House, so they can't pass anything. Uh, the Republicans are supposed to be having sort of a cattle show tonight. Uh, I don't know if this will count to be a goat rodeo or not, but there are, are, they're down to nine. <laughs> they're down to nine candidates for speaker and some of them are terrific guys I, I i do hope and suspect it will be tom emmer of minnesota will be the new speaker of the house that they ultimately agree on but who knows in any event the house of representatives is going to be listening tonight to the various uh, uh wannabe speakers speaking uh, which is appropriate with a job like speaker. And then they're supposed to be voting on this tomorrow, Tuesday, at some point, maybe in the morning, and maybe then they can start working on everything that the Congress has to do. 
in the next couple of weeks or sooner. Uh, 1-800-955-1776 is our phone number. Some headlines from the Jerusalem Post. Uh, Israeli municipal elections are delayed. Uh, They're not delayed long. They're now going to take place on January 30th. And some of those elections, when they elect a mayor of Jerusalem, when they elect a mayor of Tel Aviv, Tel Aviv is the biggest city in Israel, and it's the financial center. Those are big deals. But that's coming up January 30th. Uh, The United Kingdom, Great Britain is going to provide 20 million pounds. uh, That's uh, in terms of money, not weight of further aid for Palestinian people that comes out to about $25 million. Uh, Rockets from Lebanon uh, aimed at an IDF position, Israel Defense Forces position, drew a military response. Uh, And then NYT, New York Times, reporting that the Hamas may, in fact, release another 50 dual citizen hostages. We will get to more of the big victory involving the BBC and uh, Mark Regev, advisor to Prime Minister Netanyahu, joining the show. 1-800-955-1776, our phone number. We'll be right back. The Michael Medved Show. And on the Michael Medved Show, uh, more good news, and boy, can we use it with so many terrible things going on in the world. But uh, this regarding the um, uh, governor of the Bank of Israel, who uh, Bank of Israel is the equivalent of the Federal Reserve. It is the main bank that runs or helps supervise the Israeli economy, which is emphatically a free market economy. Uh, In any event, uh, he just told the Jerusalem Post that even with 360,000 Israeli men uh, being uh, called up for military duty, that's 360,000 people in a country of 9.2 million, and that's in addition to the uh, regular active duty military. So you're talking about a total of about a, a half a million people. But uh, despite the economic impact of that, I mean, when a lot of you have that many people leaving their jobs, it's tough for the economy. But uh, the Bank of Israel says the Israeli economy is solid and looking like continued growth. And hiring, obviously, hiring is a big factor right now, even if it's temporary with uh, with people having been called up. This is why this question about when they go in, if they go in, uh, for a, a, a long-term invasion into Gaza, it's a very serious question because it determines how long it is before the state of Israel and Israeli society goes back to something like normal life. Uh, there is um, is also this about the BBC, where the uh, article, which is the best article about the BBC, is not from a British 
press because they're all so reverent toward the BBC. It's the uh, that people people say. I remember when I worked in 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 Britain, the two institutions aside from the monarchy that uh, are looked upon with the greatest reverence and the greatest admiration are the National Health Service, which is their socialized medicine system, and uh, and the BBC, the Beeb, uh, which is the British Broadcasting Corporation. And the way they do it, the way they pay for it, is uh, you pay a special tax whenever you buy a TV or anything that receives TV signals, and that money goes to feed this network. So... Uh, the BBC, big announcement from the National Post in Canada, which is a good newspaper. Uh, the BBC will stop describing Hamas as a militant group and instead refer to the rulers of the Gaza Strip as a terrorist organization proscribed by the UK government. Uh, According to reports, the decision was made during a meeting between members of Britain's Board of Jewish Deputies and the BBC Director General, Tim Davey. Now, the Board of Jewish Deputies is not a formal governmental institution of any kind. It is the, a, an organization of the private Jewish communities that represents every... Uh, part of the country and every shade of Jewish practice or orientation who get elected to this board. We don't have anything like that in the United States, but, but they do in, in other countries, particularly countries related to the United Kingdom. In any event, the report said the Jewish leaders expressed their outrage at the BBC's coverage of last week's explosion at the Al-Ali Hospital in Gaza which Hamas claimed killed hundreds of Palestinians and blamed on an Israeli airstrike. The Israeli military quickly confirmed that the explosion was not caused by any uh, rocket attack by Israel, but by a failed Palestinian Islamic Jihad rocket launch, and Hamas is believed to have significantly inflated the death toll. Uh, the death toll, and, and deaths at a hospital like that, it's horrible anyone dying but it wasn't 500 it may have been one or 200 that's at, at least according to more reliable reports um, uh, David the head of the BBC is slated to be grilled by parliamentarians later this week about the broadcasters coverage of the war between Israel and Hamas amid a groundswell of public anger over the outlets reporting Israeli president uh, Yitzhak Herzog told visiting British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak on Thursday that there should be a public outcry against the BBC's refusal to call Hamas a terror terrorist organization. Uh, and uh, by the way, good for Rishi Sunak following Joe Biden's example and going to Israel the next day. I know that in modern, modern democracies like ours and yours, you can't interfere per se, but since the BBC has a certain linkage and is known as British all over the world, there has to be an outcry for it to be corrected, and that Hamas will be defined as a terrorist organization there as well, President Herzog of Israel said. 
What else do they need to see to understand that this is an atrocious terror organization? Uh, Rishi Sunak, the British prime minister, responded that we should call it what it is, an act of terrorism perpetrated by an evil terrorist organization, Hamas. That's fairly definitive. The BBC is currently urgently investigating six reporters and a freelancer following complaints of anti-Israel posts by them on social media. Uh, For instance, one of these employees of the BBC described October 7th as a morning of hope. Can you imagine a morning of hope, Uh, 1,400 people killed, babies beheaded? Yeah. Uh, One of the uh, BBC employees also mocked relatives of an Israeli grandmother kidnapped by Hamas, could be one of those women who's being released, and saying that Israel's prestige is crying in the corner. The BBC also apologized after a guest on one of its news programs compared Hamas terrorist attacks on Israeli civilians to Jews rising up against the Nazis in the Warsaw Ghetto in the spring of 1943. Let that sink in. For people who know anything about history, the uh, uprising in the Warsaw Ghetto, there were no civilians who were killed on the Nazi side. I mean, first of all, it was Poland that it took place, and Poland was definitely occupied. And basically the uh the people in the ghetto uprising only attacked and killed some nazi troops and to compare that to the victims of hamas just outrageous uh we we're going to be right back with mark regev who is a uh, leading very prominent israeli diplomat a former ambassador from israel to the united kingdom He's now one of the senior advisors to Prime Minister Netanyahu. He'll join us moments from now on the Medved Show. This is the Michael Medved Show. It is a great pleasure to welcome to the show uh, one of the most distinguished and authoritative voices for the embattled nation of Israel in this time of crisis. Uh, Ambassador Mark Regev is a former ambassador of uh, the Jewish state to the United Kingdom. He is a senior advisor to the Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, and he speaks to us from Tel Aviv. Mr. Ambassador, the entire world is talking about the possibilities of a wider war, the uh, apparent delay in the long-anticipated ground invasion of Gaza. Is, as, as far as you're able to say, has there uh, uh, been a delay specifically related to getting the 220 hostages out. So first of all, thank you for having me uh, on your program. You know, sometimes Israel is accused of shooting from the hip, of uh, responding quickly and unthinkingly, and and today when we're actually being very judicious about our response, so some can accuse us of waiting too long. It's like whatever we do, we're we're going to be criticized. But I think in, in this particular situation, 
Obviously, our air force has been hitting targets in uh, Gaza, Hamas targets, uh, for the last two weeks. But the anticipated ground invasion, we're being very careful with that. We're not giving out details for obvious reasons. When you know the old saying from the Second World War, "loose lips uh, 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 sink ships," but uh, 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 we will be going in. When we do so, we'll be doing so after much planning and after much thought, and we will win decisively. And uh, that idea of winning decisively, that's, of course, was challenged over the weekend. There were prominent editorials, uh, which I'm sure you saw, one by Richard Haas, who was a longtime president of the uh, Council on Foreign Relations, uh, one by Pulitzer Prize winner Tom Friedman of the New York Times. They were both saying that any invasion to prevent a wider war and to um, to facilitate a meaningful victory should also involve some sort of peace offensive. Uh, further negotiations with uh, all of uh, Israel's enemies and potential enemies. Is there any likelihood that we would hear about that peace offensive before the ground offensive actually begins? I think it's important at this stage that we defeat Hamas, and we can and we will. And because Hamas is such a violent opponent of peace, uh, uh, I mean, you just have to read their charter to know that they're against any compromise. They're against Israel in any borders. Uh, they believe every Jew is a legit legitimate target for their murderous campaign of terror. And if we, and we will, destroy them as a political force and dismantle their military machine in the Gaza Strip, I think we will be creating space uh, for moderates uh, to, uh, to move in. That'll ultimately be good for peace. Our intel people uh, tell me that when they look at the motivation for the Hamas attack, the terrible massacre that we suffered on October 7th, uh, they say one of the uh, motivations as to the timing of the attack was the desire to stifle prospective movement on the Israeli-Saudi track. Uh, as you will recall, Michael, there was much talk of an Israeli-Saudi breakthrough. Now, while most people celebrate the idea of Israeli-Arab peace, uh, for Hamas, for Iran, for Hezbollah, any breakthrough in normalization between Israel and Arab countries, is, is that's almost an existential threat for them. So once we defeat Hamas decisively, I think that's 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 a defeat for all the forces of extremism who oppose any sort of reconciliation and peace. And uh, that'll strengthen, that'll empower more responsible voices, more moderate voices. I still believe that when this is over, uh, we can go back to, to working for peace with Saudi Arabia. Uh, and I think defeating Hamas decisively actually helps us do that because you will have defeated one of the most uh, strongest voices who oppose peace. And is there any, I mean, I'm sure there is thought about this with all of the consequences of the unspeakable thing that happened uh, two weeks ago. But uh, in terms of the, uh, the Palestinian Authority and the authorities who really share responsibility 
with uh, Israel, with uh, what's called the West Bank and Yehuda and Shomron, is there obviously a communication that uh, indicates anything more than the stony silence uh, about uh, the Palestinian Authority responding to Hamas. In the past, they themselves have been victimized by Hamas and have had violent confrontations. Is it possible to defeat what seems to be a worldwide sympathy on the part of Muslims around the world and... uh, and also many forces on on the extreme left who uh, glorify Hamas rather than speaking out against uh, the the horrible war crimes they committed. And horrible war crimes they did uh, uh, commit. ISIS-type war crimes, um, you know, beheadings, uh, uh, burning people alive, um, violence uh, uh, that we haven't seen in recent history, you know, uh, I've been told that the Hamas attack on October 7th was the largest terror attack since 9-11, and it was the largest act of anti-Semitic violence since 1945. Uh, And you had, for us, for Jews, it was particularly difficult. I mean, you had children hiding in attics from people who came to murder them, like Anne Frank. And you had young people who were attending an open-air music festival, and they were forced into a pit and machine-gunned, which reminded us of Babi Yar. The, the Jewish state was supposed to be different. We were supposed to be able to defend ourselves against the haters of the Jews. And here we failed. And it's almost as if the, the promise of Israel was taken away from us. And part of defeating Hamas is not only to return security to the civilians of Israel, but it's to do what this country was supposed to do, and that is a homeland for the Jewish people where we will protect ourselves and defend ourselves against our enemies. Have you been surprised at all to see some of the very strong statements from leadership around the world and in uh, Britain where you were ambassador, where uh, Prime Minister Rishi Sunak made a a strong statement on behalf of Israel. And uh, apparently the Western countries um, everywhere, France, uh, uh, Italy, uh, do do seem to be rallying on behalf of decency and opposed to the Hamas terror. Has that been gratifying, surprising at all? Definitely. Since the terrible atrocity of October 7th, we've had a whole uh, series of world leaders coming here. As you said correctly, uh, the British Prime Minister, the German Chancellor, uh, uh, the Italian Prime Minister, the Romanian Prime Minister, uh, uh, the Dutch Prime Minister... Uh, the Greek Prime Minister, this goes on and on, all expressing solidarity and support for Israel. But most importantly, of course, was the visit by the American president, who before he came, we had both the Secretary of State and the Secretary of Defense here on two separate uh, visits, uh, one day after the other. And they and- both spoke so, so forcefully and well. Uh, Ambassador Mark Regev, uh, there's more information about your work uh, and about the entire situation, which we are right in the middle of a turning point on. Uh, that's at michaelmedved.com. 
Uh, it's a, a great honor to have you on the show, and I hope we can speak to you again soon with good news, news, as you put it, of victory. Uh, we'll be right back with the war at home and some of the controversy about uh, Israel and the Middle East and American politics and university politics coming up on The Medved Show. And on the Michael Medved Show, there's more information about the coverage of uh, the war, the ongoing war, because even though there has been a, a slow buildup to a potential ground invasion, and who knows when it will come, uh, I was struck by Mark Regev, who we were just speaking to, the senior advisor to Benjamin Netanyahu, uh, he, he was unequivocal. He said, we are going in. Uh, we are going to take down and dismantle Hamas and their entire infrastructure of terror. But uh, with all of that, there is this retreat from BBC, which is profound, uh, where they are now going to identify Hamas as a terror organization and one that is involved with evil and cruelty and no more militants these are terrorists and uh... you also have a new york times report under the headline canada and france say israel likely not behind hospital blast a canadian french national security officials have said an errant rocket fired from within gaza not an israeli airstrike caused last week's deadly blast at a hospital in the Gaza Strip, echoing statements by U.S. and Israeli officials made in the immediate aftermath of the explosion. Uh, Canada's National Department of Defense said analysis conducted independently by the Canadian Forces Intelligence Command indicates with a high degree of confidence that Israel did not strike the Al-Ali Hospital. The uh, Canadians added that the hospital was most likely struck by a rocket fired from within Gaza, citing open source and classified reporting. A day earlier, France's military intelligence directorate made similar statements to reporters. Quote, there is nothing that allows us to say that this is an Israeli strike, the directorate said. The uh, blast crater appeared too small to have been caused by an Israeli missile, and the most likely hypothesis is a Palestinian rocket, according to the French directorate. It uh, added that the explosive charge was about 5 kilograms, 11 pounds, a size that matches rockets known to be used by Palestinians, uh, but not uh, by the Israelis. The um, uh, Concerning the BBC... Uh, there's an example of how this issue of what do you call terrorists, how do you cover terrorism, is is it very difficult for people who have a difficult time sorting through the idea that there is such a thing as absolute good and absolute evil. And yes, there are world struggles that are like that. The war in Ukraine is that kind of struggle as well. But a uh, BBC anchor 
was speaking to an expert on international law. And this is the way that the uh, anchor for the BBC put the question. Listen, clip 19. Also under international law, though, as well as the right to defend yourself as a party, uh, you, there are also rules of war and engagement. So it's not that you can't defend yourself. It's how you defend yourself in the situation. In this case, how Israel defends itself. And there's been a lot of concentration. We've been talking about aid today. The plight of Palestinian civilians on the ground, uh, that siege that's been tightened on the Gaza Strip until today. No food, no water, no medical supplies, aerial bombardments day and night aimed, Israel says, at Hamas and Hamas infrastructure. But the number of casualties amongst civilians has been very, very high. Okay, and the answer from uh, the expert on international law, listen. Well, let me pick up, if I may, on those points in turn. In compliance with its obligations under international law to minimize civilian casualties, Israel is issuing warnings of where it will be striking Hamas terrorist infrastructure. It's a practice used by all law-abiding countries. It is telling them to leave in order to try to save their lives. And, of course, there has also been mass evacuation of Israeli civilians from the north and south of Israel, away from the borders with terrorist organizations. But there is another myth here, that Israel has an obligation to supply Hamas terrorists with electricity and other goods, and that is without basis in international law. Israel is not required to fund or assist Hamas war efforts as it attempts to butcher Jews. Uh, and of course, since Hamas violently seized control in 2007, Israel has continued to provide a part of uh, Gaza's fuel, uh, electricity, water, uh, and also medical care to Palestinian civilians that Hamas neglects and abuses. That isn't viable during a military campaign where Hamas exploits these transfers, stealing supplies and penetrating humanitarian organizations to mask its terror uh, operations and to launder funds. And Hamas uses the electricity grid in Gaza to continue to fire missiles onto Israeli civilians. That firing has continued in the course of the last hour and, and your broadcasts. And of course, some of these rockets from Gaza uh, fall short as we saw with the Al-Ali hospital car park. Uh, in the case of Palestinian Islamic Jihad, um, a third of the rockets fired in the last exchange of theirs fell short, killing many Gazan civilians. Uh, but I must stress in relation to your question, there is no requirement to provide resources. International law only requires that Israel facilitate the passage of food and medicine by third parties, if such goods can be reliably delivered without diversion to Hamas. And we know that is not the case because Hamas controls Gaza. And in fact, the basic rules outlined by the Geneva and the Hague Conventions are, are, are that sieges are lawful unless they are deliberately aimed at starving the local population. The IDF has been repeatedly clear about its objectives, defeating Hamas, establishing a new reality in Gaza where Israel doesn't face a genocidal terror organization that has uh, the will or capability to attack Israeli civilians and rescuing the hostages. And if governments and international organizations... And Natasha Hausdorff, if I could, sorry, if I could just, if I could just interrupt you there, sorry, uh, just a moment, Natasha Hausdorff, sorry to interrupt you, but you've made um, a, a number of points very clearly uh, from your perspective. Uh, as you say, under international law, and I, unlike you, I, I am not an international uh, lawyer, uh, Israel in this case, oh, it, it is it, it is allowed by parties under international law, if they can argue their reasons why, to have a siege. 
But what is not allowed under international law is something that is alleged by uh, aid agencies, for example, and they say that what the, the effect on Palestinian civilians stuck inside Gaza, they say, seems like collective punishment. Seems like okay. collective punishment, they say. Collective That's uh, the position of Amnesty International and uh, other 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 um, uh, forces on the left. And, and again, the, the whole idea of celebrating Hamas, which uh, you will find on the left, there, there's a, a terrific piece that appeared in the New York Times on Sunday by Ezekiel J. Emanuel. And yes, he's the brother of uh, former Chicago mayor, current ambassador to uh, Japan, I believe, uh, uh, Rahm Emanuel. And, uh, but Ezekiel Emanuel writes, we have failed. When a coalition of 34 student organizations at Harvard can say that they hold the Israeli regime entirely responsible for all unfolding violence and students at other elite universities blame Israel alone for the attack Hamas carried out on Israelis on October 7th or even praise the massacre like the BBC did, a morning of hope is what they said. Something is deeply wrong at America's colleges and universities. Students spouting ideological catchphrases have revealed their moral obliviousness and the deficiency of their educations. But the deeper problem is not them. It is what they are being taught, or more specifically, what they are not being taught. The Hamas massacre is the easiest of moral cases, he writes. The attackers targeted and killed more than 1,000 civilians. They killed babies and children, people attending a concert, and people from Thailand, Nepal, and more than a dozen other countries who could hardly be responsible for the decades of Israeli-Palestinian violence, as if that could be any justification. And then the same gunman took civilian hostages with the explicitly articulated intention to use them as deterrence, and if that failed, to execute them. We in the academy, he's a professor of medicine and health policy at the University of Pennsylvania, we in the academy need to look more deeply at how is it possible that so many undergraduates, graduate students, law students, and faculty at our nation's finest colleges and universities could have such moral blinders. What needs to be changed? That's worth talking about. And what happens in Gaza after the Israeli victory that many in the world hope will transpire? We will speak on that coming up in this greatest nation on God's green.